Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 5th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast is my two illustrious journalism uh, dynamos. That's Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. Rob Pegarero, who writes frequently on tech policy for Wirecutter, PC Magazine, and USA Today, America's Hotel Newspaper. Uh, and uh, John Queen um, is out of pocket. I, we think he's at a, um, a, a Met event, not to be confused with the New York Met, Stuart. Sorry to, you know. <laughs> I wasn't not confused. To, not to impose that, but um, how, how are both of you guys doing? Good. Sunny day on the East Coast, lovely day. Well, I can tell you one topic we're not going to talk about this week. I'm not going to say the Johnny Depp trial. I, I was going to say that, but I'm not going to say that. We're not going to talk about Twitter. Too easily avoiding it. <laughs> Yes, please. That, that, that could be a whole anti-podcast to do about the uh, that particular thing. But we're not also not going to talk about Twitter. We kind of talked that into the ground last week. We missed you about that, Rob. Um, uh, we had a lot to unfold, but I was seven time zones to the right of uh, Stuart, let alone 10 to the right of you. Yes, yes. Well, before we hit the, the topics I want to tee up today, because it's been kind of, a, kind of a sort of slow news thing outside the Supreme Court leaking uh, decisions. That's a completely Bad. different. Um, Other than that, Mrs. Of Lincoln, how was yep. the play? <laughs> how was the play? Um, but uh, but uh, Rob, since you were not on the podcast last week, any thoughts on the Twitter thing? Uh, just real quick. Uh, so the latest plot twist I saw was that Elon Musk will become the the temporary new CEO, which is insane. Right. He already has two jobs, and he he actually is good at running an electric car company and a a spaceflight company. He doesn't know anything about running a social network, as we've seen from his tweets about how we'd run Twitter. Just an absolutely disastrous thing. Oh, and I guess the other thing is the financing is lineup, which includes uh, funding from those free speech champions in the government of Saudi Arabia, their sovereign wealth fund. Uh, and I guess Larry Ellison is kicking in a billion dollars, which, you know, uh, there's that line from The Empire Strikes Back. I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> you know why am i always dealing with these you guys that are always taking life lessons and you're gleaning them from movies that you've seen i do the same thing by the way <laughs> but you know but but you know I, you know to your point uh, rob you know the shoe hasn't completely dropped on this whole twitter thing as we were talking about last week a lot of things can happen between now and the closing if, if the closing happens he's got to lock down the financing he may get under the coverage of this whole thing and decide, hey, you know, what the hell did I, you know, stick my foot into? Um, you know, I agree with you that, you know, I'm not sure the shareholders of um, of um, Tesla are going to be that crazy that he's going to presumably put on a third hat, even for a temporary period, because that's going to take his focus away from what his key business is, let alone the, uh, the, uh, the space um, company that he manages. Yep. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing, and uh, this will likely be um, – this is likely going to turn into a bit of a saga that uh, many promising screenwriters are taking notes on to do a, yet another Hulu series or HBO series on. But uh, let us bring up the first uh, list of topics here, and that is uh, Sonos. And there's, there's a typo there. It should be Sonos, not Sono. But Sonos reportedly unveiled uh, is reportedly going to unveil its own competing Alexa uh, voice assistant. 
And for the life of me, I don't get that. You know, we already have enough uh, challenges and issues in the smart home with competing standards. There's an initiative out there called Matter, which has been crawling at a snail's pace. It still hasn't surfaced yet with any devices that are interoperable across multiple uh, voice assistants. But I, I, you know, I understand there may be some business reasons why Sonos might want to do that, you know, but uh, Stuart, let me start with you. I, I just don't understand the logic and I don't see how the be- that's going to benefit consumers. Well, first, on a, mu- on a mu- much more overarching point, there's nothing wrong with more competition in any space or almost any space, I should say. Um, I think there's a certain degree of comp- of uh, complacency that has crept into both the Google and Amazon voice assistant universe. Um, I have not seen very much improvement in either one of them in terms of not paying attention to their names being spoken on television or by other third parties or in conversation. I haven't seen any major increase in their understanding. You still have to speak their language instead of them having to understand your language. So anything that lights up, and there's also the competitive uh, issues of, of both Google and Amazon putting restrictions on where their voice um, where their voice can be uh, assistance can be placed. Um, and how much money they get and all these. So I think there's a certain amount of monopoly creeping into this. So any competition, anything that lights a fire under Google and Amazon, I, I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. I'm all for anything. If I don't think they have a ghost chance in hell, but if they could light a, a fire under Google and Amazon to get their, their acts moving forward, um, instead of standing, st- almost standing still, I'm all for it. No, I, I like that angle. You know, I, you know, I'm a true capitalist. <laughs> I believe competition is a good thing on not just products, but services as well. And there's no question. We all agree that what matter is trying to do the CSA with, with matter is a good thing. You know, we all, you know, you generally don't want to root for a company, you know, if you're in the analyst space or you're a journalist, but this space really needs it because there's so much confusion. And to your point, Stuart, you know, is, is Sonos's entry into this space going to, you know, nudge things along? I hope. I'm not sure that I'm not sure they're big enough in that space to do that. But, you know, you know, hope springs eternal. But I agree with you that, that, that uh, you know, that competition is a good thing. And hopefully it will spur on uh, the mad guys to get their act together and get some devices out the door. Um, and, you know, and I think part of that, I wrote a piece about that last week on my newsletter and it's been, they've been so painfully slow in getting their um, getting some proof points out there. Here's some products that actually work under the matter proviso uh, that the, the thing is that they want to make sure it works. I think they realize that if they, the first few devices that show up, if they don't work properly and God knows the, there's media out, there's journalists out there that are, you know, got them in a bullseye right now for the first thing that shows up in the market and it doesn't work. So they, they obviously want to make sure that's ready for prime time. But uh, Rob, let me pull you into into your, your perspective on this. And, you know, do you, do you really think that it makes a lot of sense for Sonos to get into this space, given where they're no, heritage? I mean, I, I you know, read the Verge's report saying they will have the, what are they calling it, the Sonos voice experience. Uh, you know, <laughs> competing on privacy, good. But if you already have Siri competing on that ground, uh, you've got the huge problem that this is not going to be is nearly as many places as Siri or Alexa. And I apologize to everyone whose devices just lit up when I said those two words. Um, so, and 
and yeah, it's it's not even like Samsung's Bixby, which at least benefits from Samsung selling an enormous number of smartphones. So I don't know where, where they're going with this. And uh, whoever is signing up for this, I hope they're not banking too much on this venture panning out. Yeah, it's, it's just one, you know, every once in a while, and I know you guys feel the same way I do. You read a headline, you read the article, and you kind of scratch your head saying, what, what, what were they thinking? But, yeah. you know, but I do think that to your points, I think Stuart has made the most val valid point, which is rare because, Stuart, you rarely make any type of valid points <laughs> in any of your arguments. But this is an exception. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking, of course. But uh, I do think that hopefully if it, it will have a beneficial impact from a competitive movement standpoint, that's probably a, probably a good thing. Let's hit the next topic in, uh, here, and that is, uh, Rob, this is right in your wheelhouse. You know, um, you follow the, the, the carrier space yep. uh, quite a bit. Um, Dish, which is kind of like, I want to say, I want to compare them to Avis, you know, um, the old adage with Avis, you know, uh, we're second, but we're better, you know, but we try harder, that type of thing. You know, they finally gotten their 5G network off the ground. They're, they're kicking off in Las Vegas. They've got multiple cities plans. From your perspective, um, when you look at the landscape, uh, Rob, do you think they're ready for prime time? No. You know, get um, I mean, what we have here, the, the analogy is somewhat inexact. It's more as if Hertz bought Avis or maybe Avis bought budget. I mean, don't they already own each other anyways? But anyways, <laughs> imagine you had a consolidation in the rental car industry and the government said, OK, we need competition. So you two that just merged, you're going to give some assets to, uh, I don't know, like a car sharing service like Get Around, which is then going to become a legit car rental service. And so that's what Dish is doing. T-Mobile to buy Sprint said, okay, we're going to like, first of all, let Dish rent our network for a little while longer. We're going to unload Boost Mobile, which was Sprint's prepaid brand to Dish, which now runs that. And we're going to, you know, various other considerations. The idea being that temporarily we go from four major carriers to three, but we'll have four once again. And as part of this deal, Dish is committed to building out a nationwide 5G network and, and only 5G, and they're saying they can do it faster than usual by, you know, essentially leapfrogging older technologies of cellular infrastructure. So that's all good, but yeah, a 5G network in one city is is not <laughs> not what makes a national carrier. Right. Um, uh, the other thing I'd add, though, of course, is when you look at competition in the wireless industry, I don't know that we necessarily need Dish. Like, I hope they do well. I hope they can provide an innovative product with good pricing. But the whole fear, when just over two years ago, T-Mobile completed the acquisition of Sprint, that, oh, this is going to free up people to raise prices. And in fact, they've gotten cheaper. The The news last week was AT&T raising prices only yes. on the legacy limited data plans right. where you know, if T-Mobile had yanked prices upwards, then you could say, oh, yep, we screwed up and I competitive right. merger. But in this case, um, yeah, we'll see. Dish is running an interesting experiment. They've got to do it. They have all the spectrum, some of which they've been a long time. And so I'm glad they're yeah. building it out. Um, yeah, I, I guess next time I'm in Vegas, which I don't know, that might not be until CES uh, in January. Uh, perhaps I can uh, test out this network or perhaps they'll light it up in another city. I'll be at uh, being sometime sooner. Right. Well, not to your point, uh, Rob, I mean, being in three or four cities does not make a nation, a nationwide network. So they got a long way to go. Um, I'm not sure that many people want to sign up to something with, you know, betting on the come that, Oh, if I you know sign up for dish a year from now, 
they'll have much you know wider coverage with, with 5G. So they got that problem to deal with. Yeah. But the other issue with Dish, and I know this because I used to, I worked for EchoStar. Well, I used to work for Sling Media. I ran the marketing, as you know. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Box, and they were owned by EchoStar, which was part of that whole Charlie Ergen, you know, empire. And as you know, Dish has had a, a rich history. Or Charlie's had a rich history of, um, uh, from a, 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 a channel standpoint, is that he was constantly getting in battles with um, the different uh, programmers, you know, and, and pulling programs off. He'd go toe to toe, and all of a sudden you'd find out, guess what? Tonight I can't watch Fox News or I can't watch a certain channel. And, uh, you know, that's not the most pleasant customer experience when that happens when you sit down yeah. on the couch and you're trying to rest and just watch the news. You know, so he, he has a bit of a, um, a combat, combative, business um approach and you know that could happen you know as they roll 5g out into these other cities because as you know when you're rolling the services out even if you get past the equipment issues you can do it more efficiently you can do it you know with, with more modern equipment you can roll it out faster there's still lots of negotiations that goes on you know you just don't show up in a city and say hey let's put up a bunch of cell towers there's lots of that work that goes on in the back so i'm you know, all you know, all you don't want what, what a, a cell phone s a service subscriber doesn't want to hear is, well, guess what? I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, and this just announced that they're battling with the city of St. Louis and they can't put their 5G um, towers in, in place. So, I want to get your perspective, Stuart. Well, I think there's a, a number of aspects of this on, a, on, a, on an insight on a uh, truly competitive level. Uh, apparently, the launch in Las Vegas, you can't bring your own phone. Apparently, you have to get this particular Motorola device. Motorola yes. phone is the only one you can use on the network. So, obviously, they have a lot to figure out there with getting compatible phones. But on a much more inside industry kind of thing, in their earnings, and during their earnings call in February, the uh, Dish CEO dropped in that they lost 245,000 subscribers in the previous quarter. So, it mm. looks as if that... Dish is looking at this to make a transition, given the competition they're probably getting from streaming and people cutting their cable, or in this case, cutting their satellite and going to streaming, that they've really got to change their business model. And they're counting on on keeping to the timetable that the FCC have set for them, which is 20% nationwide coverage by mid-year, which is June of this year, and 70% coverage by the middle of next year. So I think that from, from a pure dish point of view, this is something from a business perspective that they just have to do. They really yeah. don't have much choice if they're going to continue bleeding uh, video and, and satellite subscribers. From an in, from a competitive point of view, it's what I said before, you know, Groundhog's Day. There's nothing wrong with more competition. And if it held, I mean, that was the big argument for the T-Mobile the Sprint merger was is it's going to reduce competition and raise prices so again capitalism 101 any competition is going to be good i just think that dish has got their get has got to get their shirt together um and it can't be one phone and it, it has to be truly competitive obviously there's consumer cellular and a lot of the uh prepaid so there there's there's a lot of competition in the space that looks as if they're trying to enter so I think they're, they they have a lot of work to do if they're going to be a true fourth carrier, right? Well, again, I you know I, I hope I think we all hope that over time that there are you know four at least four or five very strong competitors that are that can sustain their their presence. 
because if, if, if the market, you know, whittles down to, let's say, in an extreme situation, which I cannot foresee happening, but let's say the market completely coalesced around Verizon and AT&T, you would, see prices, you would see prices come back up. You know, you would see that, you know, and, uh, and what I'm hoping for is, you know, the promise of 5G and the, and, and the promise of, of even faster topo- um, cellular topologies over time is going to be replacing hardwire cable to your house for, ca- yep. for internet access. That's what I'm the dream I'm looking for. Well, you saw the T-Mobile announcement yesterday yep. that they're essentially giving away the, um, or, you know, a, a free trial version of their home 5G, which offers faster service than most Wi-Fi that people get. Right. So yep. that's that first volley across, that first shot across the bow of wow. the wired home Wi-Fi uh, monopoly from your cable company, which yes. again, competition, a good thing. And that yeah. is one upside of T-Mobile buying Sprint that I don't think a whole, and people talked about, well, T-Mobile is going to have better 5G when they can get Sprint's mid-band frequencies. But, but I don't remember a whole lot of people. I know I did not then draw a line from that to say you can use this to provide no data cap, fast residential broadband over a big chunk of the U.S., which T-Mobile now does. And it's real competition and the cable companies, you know, they can say we have a faster connection, which is true. But Comcast also has this 1.2 terabyte data cap that is Mm -hmm. not justified by any sort of network engineering principles that I know of. And and when T-Mobile can say, hey, we will sell you this service for just 50 bucks a month. And it's actually the price. It doesn't double in the second year. Uh, Comcast should not overestimate the appeal of their current product the way they price it and pitch it. Well, I, I will tell you, I'm tired of paying my my friends, my friends, I use that term very loosely, at Comcast, 180 bucks every month, you know, for my, uh, uh, ca- my cable and my uh, internet package. And there's no reason why, you know, I, I look for the day where I can just deal with one vendor to handle everything, my cell phone coverage and my um, internet coverage. And uh, that day can't come fast enough, as far as I'm concerned, you know. Let us hit the last topic, which was, this is going to be a fun one. This is right in Stewart's wheelhouse. Let's talk a little bit about Netflix. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, they, they were kind of like the, the, uh, the uh, streaming entertainment t- company that couldn't do any wrong. And, you know, they were supposed to gain some subscribers. I kind of shocked them. More, and I don't think shocking is too, um, not a strong enough word. Uh, they really kind of freaked out the market when they lost a couple hundred thousand subscribers. They attributed to a lot of different things, but they even attributed to some of it, uh, the, the Ukraine war uh, situation. But at a macro level, and Stuart, I think I know how you feel about this, but I'd like you to opine on it. Is this really a sign that there's just too much content? There's too many choices. And, you know, Netflix was the, the field wasn't that crowded maybe four, three, four years ago. And, um, so explain, is Netflix woes tied to a much more macro thing that's happening in the marketplace? Anybody who is surprised that this happened is not paying any attention. Um, we've been talking about this for months, that the that the competitors to Netflix, and this was, again, predictable. Anybody who looks at the history of technology or the history of capitalism knows that if one company is successful in a space, it's going to get competition, people who want to get there, and that's going to hurt the people who started off. I mean, this is, this is not news. But I think the problem is not that there is too much content. 
I think the problem is the confusion about where the content is. I think most people, and I count myself when I see there's a new show and I'm interested in seeing it, the first question I ask is, where can I find it? The industry has been doing a terrible job at, at making sure we know where your program is. For instance, I was trying to catch up on... Um, Ozark. Was it Ozark? No, it wasn't Ozark. It was another show. It'll spring to me in my head. But um, I had to start watching it on one streaming service, but they only carried... Oh, Snowpiercer. I was oh, catching yeah. up on Snowpiercer. And the first couple of seasons are on Netflix, but season three isn't. And I right. had to go searching, and season three is on TNT. They're free service but you have to watch commercials it's low resolution i ended up just buying it from amazon but i'm going i want to watch snowpiercer why do i have to hunt around like i've lost my wallet in my house this is insanity and so i don't think it's a matter of too much content i think it's a poor job of both the content providers and the services to make to make it easy to find the content well, that's a universal search and it, it's gotten better. You know, it's still not where it needs to be, but the right. issue that you're citing, because I've experienced that, that issue myself about um, six months ago, one of my favorite old TV series was, was the, uh, the, the odd couple, Jack Klugman. And, <laughs> and there was a, I remember there was a very particular episode that had a particular line in it and uh, Hulu streaming, they bought the rights from CBS or wherever they got, wherever they, 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 it was originally on ABC, but it was, a, I think it was a CBS property. And that episode, if you look in their catalog, it's not available. So obviously there was some licensing issue. They had, ever, they had all five seasons, The Odd Couple, but that one particular episode wasn't there. And it's got to be for whatever reason. And I haven't had time to peel into it, but. Obviously, it's got to be they were not able to license that particular episode. Is that the, That's assume, is that the assume episode? Yeah. Uh, no, it was the. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk offline. No, it was, uh, it'll get me into trouble because I'm not sure that could. You know what? This just occurred to me. It was, it was a very funny line in 1975 when the show ran and may not be so funny in 2022. <laughs> That's the reason. Offline. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about that offline. But uh, Rob, let me pull you into this. Netflix are have they, well. Actually, let me ask you a more pointed question, uh, Rob, because you're just a guy for a pointed question. The interesting thing that a lot of people have, have advanced. I don't know if I completely buy into this, but you know, Netflix, you know, really, you know, um, really made its name on content that was wasn't available anywhere else. Original content that was really good, sharp content, and the show that. Um, House of Cards comes to mind, you know, that you you had to subscribe to Netflix to watch House of Cards and, you know, and they had enough, several programs like that that were almost much see um, uh, content. There are people now advancing the notion that some of the content on Netflix, some of the original content is not terribly good. You know, even if it's good and high caliber, it I'll use the word, it's it may be overly woke, a little bit left of center, maybe not appealing to a very broad portion of the audience. So does Netflix have a programming problem and is it impacting their appeal? You know? No, I don't think so. Um, Cause number one, it's not a linear service. It's not as if them adding another series or a movie or whatever means you're stuck watching that. You watch whatever you want. They've got the recommendation algorithm and everything. What they do have is we see in this nice little, we can see that 
they have an inflation problem. Uh, in 2014, <laughs> the, the, the HD plan was $8.99 a month, and now it's $15.49. If you increase the price of something by 100%, even if you take you know eight years to do it, people will notice. Yes. Uh, and I mean, if anything, you know, we still have our Netflix account, and I wish I could make more use of it. Um, I, I well, think on, I'm, I'm, on that point, that's a very good point, Rob. So they've raised prices. They also remember got themselves in a little bit of hot water not too long ago with you know cr cracking down on people that were handing out their um, their user Password IDs. Sharing, yeah. So you I, know, I believe we were. By the way, I do. I'm guilty of that. You know, mom uses my my, and I'm I'm not the only one. But yep. and I'm glad you admitted guilt. Uh, you'll get you'll get booted right off Netflix as soon as they find <laughs> out. Uh, so we were talking about this for a separate story. You know, yeah. my, my description of it was it's the golden age of television, but it's not the golden age of Rob's free time. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just don't have time to watch all the stuff that I want to watch on Netflix to the point where, you know, actually a lot of my viewing is the stuff I save on my Windows laptop that I wind up watching on airplanes when I there, there's not a whole lot of other things I can do. Uh, and it's not. And of course, there are all the other distractions in 2014. You know, my iPad wouldn't have had a, an entire screen that is mostly streaming services, Fire TV, Apple TV Plus, uh, Amazon Prime Video, Sling TV. What am I missing? Uh, oh, uh, Disney Plus. Uh, actually, yeah. So there's a lot more distractions, a lot more things that could take up your time. And so Netflix, you know, I guess they're they're suffering from the fact that there's only so many hours in the day that you're going to yeah. put yourself in front of a rectangle of glass and plastic to uh, watch something. Well, I, I will just assert there's just so much content, you know, on. I mean, it, it really for for those of us and I count you two guys as you know pretty damn good connoisseurs of really fine TV content because when I see you guys in person, we're always talking about movies and classic TV shows, especially Stuart. I love having those kind of discussion with you because you're such a um, you know, you, you talk about it with such passion, you know, the behind the scenes issues that come up in TV shows and classic movies. I really think it's there's just it's a wealth of a lot of content out there, you know, and even content that's been out there. You know, there you know, we talk about the odd couple, but classic TV series like San Elsewhere and L.A. Law. The other day, Roku added, which I think is one of the I just was watching it last night, um, a couple of episodes. Boston Legal. Remember Boston Legal? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Roku is now is fighting with that free of charge. They have the entire nice. uh, catalog, and that was a superb series. Superb series. And by the way, that the the, the James Spader character absolutely would be in jail today if <laughs> if, if some of the dialogue back uh, back in some episodes. But anyway, before we close out, we got a, a minute left. So, any closing thoughts on this whole Netflix uh, topic before we sign off? Well, I, again, the, 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 I think it. I'm all right. Uh, the issue of not having enough time is clearly one of the things, but I think what all of these services are going to end up doing, because they're all going to end up in the same boat as Netflix, is that they're all going to have to create lower tier advertising supported mm. networks. That's the only not way sure. that they're going to be able to maintain any kind of level, because they're all in this great competition for content. The whole content, TV content model is changing radically because of the demand for content. There's a lot less money to be made because it's such a, we will take anything. And so the amount of money that, that the producers are getting is less. Um, but with so much content constantly feed, needing 
being needed to feed the beast, all of these services are going to have to introduce lower priced advertising supported networks simply because there's simply no way that these any of these services can afford to keep on pouring money down the new content hole. No, I, I think that's a great point. Um, and the, the business model has to change, you know, and, and I think that all of a sudden, you know, to, to bring your point together with Rob's, if Netflix lowers their prices back down to $699, $799, and they add an advertising component to you, you got to watch ads, I guarantee you, you'll see a lot of people come back to the fold, you know, and, and, yeah. and I think you're right, Stuart, that is going to be the future of where streaming TV is going to go. But guys, thank you for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Mark Vina Tech Guy. If you haven't already, please make a donation to the Red Cross or your preferred charitable organization to help the brave people of Ukraine in their time of need. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks, guys. Thanks.